Welcome, brothers and sisters, to SJEN-TV and our ongoing series, Men on a Mission. Hi, I'm your host, Bob Zeke. We're so happy to have you join us again tonight. Listen, we have a very special guest with us. I'm sure he's got a wonderful story to share. But I wanted to leave this with you. How invested are you in your relationship with Jesus Christ? And that's really what this program's all about. Every person, every man is on a mission. So, if you will, stay right there. We'll be right back and get into this session. Welcome back. I'm your host tonight, Bob Zeke, and it is my distinct pleasure to welcome to the program tonight, Deacon Thomas Burt. Deacon Tom, welcome to the program. Great to see you, Bob. We're so excited to have you here. Well, I'm sure our viewers are going to want to know a little bit about you. Now, I know you're a deacon here in the Archdiocese of St. Louis. How long have you been involved in ministry? And tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm just kind of a little baby when it comes to ministry. I was ordained three <laughs> years ago, a little over three years ago, and was uh, lucky enough to go to St. Cletus Parish first, and then now I've been assigned to St. Joseph's in Cotterville, which was my home parish wow. before I entered the diaconate formation in 2011. Wow. So before that, I want to let everybody know who might be watching this from St. Louis, I didn't go to high school in St. Louis, so I can't, I can't help you place me there. I grew, grew up in a small town in Iowa. So, I got yeah. you. Oh, small, uh, small town Iowa boy, huh? Yeah. Moved just to a, the big just, city. Just a farm boy displaced to the big city. That's, that's all That's it was, wonderful. But, uh, I know. Maybe you should let the uh, viewers know what you do as an occupation just uh, and not apart from your ministry work. Well, yeah, a lot of people think that a, that a deacon is a, a job, and, it, and it's not. It, it's not even work. It's effort. It's effort for God, and it doesn't pay you anything, and I wouldn't want to get paid for it. But before that, for the last 37 years, I practiced law in St. Louis County, St. Charles County, Lincoln and Warren, the surrounding counties here uh, near okay. where our parish so is. we should call you Deacon Counselor then. Well, that's a little too much. <laughs> deacon Tom's just great by All me. All right. Yeah. Well, Tom, tell us a little bit about your faith journey and how you got to where you are today, where you were in this collar. So tell us about the man on the mission that you've been. Well, thanks, Bob. I, I kind of feel like the lady at the well. Remember when, when Jesus was there and the Samaritan woman was there and she ran into town and she said, he told me everything about me. Wow. And I feel that way, too, because Jesus has touched my heart and let me know who I am because of who loved me. I call that my personal parable. Okay. And I'd love to share that with you. I think we all have a personal parable. You know, a parable is something that, uh, not just any ordinary story, it's a story told by Christ to impart a spiritual or moral lesson. Right. Each one of us has that lesson within That's a us. That's great, a great analogy for that, a great... Uh, definition for that. Why don't you share some more of that? Then? Well, yeah, I, 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 uh, uh, I didn't really know I was doing it most of my life, you know, <laughs> and, and I think that's true for most of us. You know, we, we, we plot out a plot of our life for ourselves, and then it takes twists and turns, and we call it fate. And then when you look back on it, and I know we've talked, yeah. you look back on it and you go, Oh, it wasn't faith. Here is the hand of God, and right. here was Christ leading me. And for a lot of my life, here was the Blessed Mother. 
saying, let's go this way, son. And maybe I didn't hear those words, but uh, either because of other people in my life or because of really her direct intercession, I was brought to uh, the most unlikely fulfillment of who I was made to be, a deacon in the Catholic Church. And it all started uh, uh, many years ago. Uh, I'd like to say I'm, I'm prematurely gray, but I'm not. Uh, <laughs> many years ago, I was born a twin in, in uh, uh, Des Moines, Iowa in 1956, so I've given away my age. And uh, Johnny and I were born three months premature. And nowadays, that may not be so unusual that a child would survive right. at that at that six-month level. Right. But uh, at that point in time, I actually looked up the statistics uh, a few years ago. It was about one in every 100,000 births that would uh, someone would survive being wow. three months premature. And to have both of us survive without any uh, apparent physical or emotional or intellectual disability was extremely rare. I didn't even know what the odds of that would be. Well. And both of us were prayed into the world by my two aunts who were sisters. They were Franciscans. Oh, wow. And uh, uh, we were three months premature. They were three months with us. So we got the great advantage, didn't realize it, but got the great advantage of being prayed into the world and prayed over into the world by, uh, by them. And that relates to what I was talking about before. You know, we don't always feel the love of God. Sometimes we do when, when we're hurting. We don't always feel the mercy of God uh, and the forgiveness that we receive as we go. But it is really true, don't you think? Oh, certainly. You know, we, we do look back on it and we go, well, there was God's hand. Right. Well, God's hand was there. When I was born with Johnny, he was definitely there. Right. And then uh, we lived in uh, Independence, Iowa, uh, and if you want to know what that is, if you're a good dart thrower and you throw a dart at the state of Iowa and you hit the exact center, a little town called Independence, Iowa, okay. and that's where it is. Uh, and we grew up in a river town. The Wapsie Pinnacan River went right through the town, and we lived right on the river, but not, not outside of town. It was right there in town. Yeah. And we, we grew up on it in the first four years of our life. And uh, then one spring, I, my best recollection is March, is... We uh, convinced our mom that my oldest sister was two years older than us, because remember, we were there on the river all the time, that we could go down to this little dam. Now, a little dam is nothing like you think of, like the Hoover Dam. It's, mm -hmm. it's a five-foot-tall dam that the water runs, right. runs over. We've all seen that. Anyway, we could go down there, and we could watch the big chunks of ice go over the dam, and we could hear, even from where we lived a block and a half away, we could hear the roar of those chunks of ice going over the little dam. We were fascinated by it, as you might guess. And we convinced Mom, if we went down there, uh, we'd, we'd hold on to my sister Sarah's hand. We wouldn't let go. And she was good about it, too. Sarah was good about it. She was really a, 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 a real good influence for us. So we went down there, and we watched the, the, all the, uh, the big chunks of ice go over it. And Probably eyes are open as 50-cent pieces, huh? Well, yes. And, re and remember, we had, we had three channels, and two of them came in. Yeah. There was nothing <laughs> really on the black yeah, and white TV. Yeah, but I mean, TV. impressionable four-year-old and uh, boys. Right, right. So we were, that. even though it might not seem like much today with all the video games and stuff that we have and all the exciting things sure. on TV, that was pretty neat for us. Sure it was is. A, it was a natural geographic right. moment. So, uh, and then we turned around to come back, and Johnny didn't. He let go of her hand, and he ran up to, to get a better look. We had to stay 10, 15 feet back, easy. And he ran up to the edge where there was some gravel there, oh. and he slipped on the gravel. 
and in the Wapsipinicon River he went. Immediately, Sarah took off for the house to try to get help, and I tried, went down to the edge to try to get my brother who was in the water. He actually was holding on to a culvert, you know, the concrete culvert. Yeah. He was holding on to the concrete culvert. He'd lost his glasses. I didn't have glasses back then, but he did. And uh, I crawled out on the top of this culvert lid and tried to get him to grab my hand. Mm. And today, I don't know whether it was because he knew if he grabbed my hand, we'd both be in or whether he was just too scared to reach up and grab my hand, but we were closer than you and I are. Wow. In that moment, I realized that I, I couldn't do anything for him and I had to do something. So I got up and I ran. I ran to the house. It really only was a block away, maybe a city block at the most. And, and I got there shortly, I think after Sarah did, and my dad ran out. He was still in his PJs, he worked nights, and uh, ran out with a broomstick, and we got to the little dam and there wasn't anything there except my brother's handprint on the oh, concrete. Oh, dear God. So uh, they never found Johnny. Uh, but that, that was, the reason why I'm telling you the story isn't because, oh, gee, oh, that's terrible, your twin died at age four and a half. Not that, but to say those type of things uh, affect us in some way. Sure and, they do. And it affected me in this way. And it has to do with how we all relate to God. At that time in my life, I thought God was there but arbitrary uh that that it wasn't that he didn't love us but he might not love us all the time maybe not everything that went on in our life was related to that and that's my four-year-old thought sure i also had the thought that i had abandoned my brother mm. and that was a tough thing to deal with yeah. over the years and uh but it did shape how i thought about the world of course now i'm the only boy and so i was it was all about me yeah. If it had to be all about somebody, it might as well be all about me, and it really was. And so I grew up the rest of my teen years um, in athletic excelling in sports and being the class clown or whatever I needed to get attention. Now, isn't that broken? Sure it is. Sure. And I was broken at that time. They didn't know it because I was doing good at everything I wanted to sure. do. And, uh, but I knew, I knew God was real. My folks were very devout Catholics. When we were in the car, we prayed the rosary. When we went to Mass, every, every, regardless of that, you know, the death of a child will break families up. Right. But it didn't break our family up because of my folks' faith. Right. And um, uh, they, uh, uh, they did their best with us. I was not that easy to, be, to, to deal with, obviously. And then um, the next thing that happened to me that made, made God real to me, and I'd like to share it with you, yeah, please. Was, uh, uh, was, was centered around my buddy Pat. Now, we were in a bowling alley league, and my buddy Pat, he had everything. If you know anything about bowling, there's high average and high series and sure. high game, and he <laughs> had all that stuff. I was six foot tall in the sixth grade, and he was like 5'4", and he was ad very agile, and, and, and I was a gangly kid. I couldn't do anything. So here it was, the last day, and I wasn't even going to get the perfect attendance award. So I... I, I remember lying in my bed before the 11 o'clock uh, league we had, last day of the league, and I remember praying, Lord, Jesus, I didn't say Lord, I know I said Jesus. Jesus, I just want nine strikes. 
Now, I knew Pat had never got more than three in a row. His average was like almost 200. He was a very good bowler. Yeah. Mine was like 110. Okay? <laughs> okay. Maybe I got a strike once in a while. Maybe I got a frame, you know, picked up a sprayer once in a while. People might tell you to take up tennis or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were hoping for basketball oh, I mean, yeah. at, at that height. Yeah. So uh, I went to the bowling league, and, and I, that's a, that was my simple prayer. I went to the bowling league, and I... Uh, Bold, you know, they have a couple of practice, and, and I had my normal gutter balls, and and then uh, the, the first ball, and I, and I threw a strike, and, and I didn't think much about that strike. Right. Could happen to anybody, sure. you know. Second ball, and the third ball, and the fourth ball, strike, 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 and wow. as you know, if you've been in a league, you rotate around, so that was all within about 20 minutes, you know. Uh, and uh, I thought, hmm, you know, and I threw the fifth ball, and it was a strike. So then I went to the restroom because I had a chance to look at the scorecard. I never really paid much attention. Remember, I'm just, I'm just a, I never thought what my score would be. And I realized that a perfect game wasn't nine strikes, it's 12. So I, so I said, Lord, maybe I could have 12. We got five so far. Well, I'm so happy to tell you that I went out and uh, bowled a, another ball and what do you think it was i don't know what was it well you might think it wasn't a strike but it was <laughs> the okay. sixth seventh eighth wow nine strikes in a row now here's the great news to the story two great news is two. First, i didn't have a perfect game god showed me in a real way that he was listening to me that even though I didn't feel him there, yeah. that he was true, yeah. but he made sure that I knew he wasn't a vending machine. Yeah. It wasn't just my prayers coming to him and then he gives me what I want. Or if I'm just faithful, I get what I want. Because I, I was a faithful enough kid. And that was a very important thing, to know that he was real, but he wasn't a vending machine. Because before I thought, well, he might be real, but he was somewhat arbitrary. The other good thing that came out of it was I did get high game. I got a trophy. Well. But I didn't get high series. I didn't get high average. Pat got all that other stuff. And I'd have felt bad if he didn't get all that. He yeah, really but what was. a memory you got, though. Huh? Oh, yes, because I, I can go back to that and go, I knew it wasn't me. <laughs> I knew that. You know that right now. The next game, I bowled my 115. Oh, you know, the next game, I, you know, there was no way I was going to do that. Yeah. And so in a real way, I knew that God was present, even though I had felt that he wasn't present when Johnny drowned. So that was, a, that was a, I like to say that was a healing moment, and I like to think that, that, that I was a really good kid after that, and how I, how I came around and was a faithful young man, and I was a, an altar boy. I wasn't any of that stuff. I was a, still all about me after that. I still went off, to, uh, in high school, I excelled in sports, went off to college, excelled in girls, I mean, uh, athlete, uh, uh, no, uh, academics, you know. Uh, and, but it was still all about me. And I, and I wish I, I, I hadn't, but that's just how I was. And we have to accept who we are. I tell you what, we're going to stop right there and take a quick break. I can't wait to come back and hear more of uh, your parable. So stay right there. We'll be right back. Oh, St. Joseph, whose protection is so great, so strong, so prompt before the throne of God, I place in you 
all my interests and desires. O Saint Joseph, do assist me by your powerful intercession and obtain for me from your Divine Son all spiritual blessings through Jesus Christ our Lord. So having engaged here below your heavenly power, I may offer my thanksgiving and homage to the most loving of fathers. O Saint Joseph, I never weary contemplating you and Jesus asleep in your arms. I dare not approach you while he reposes near your heart. Press him in my name and kiss his fine head for me and ask him to return the kiss when I draw my dying breath. Saint Joseph, patron of parting souls, pray for us. Amen. This segment of Men on a Mission is made possible through the generosity of affordable kitchens and baths. Hey, welcome back to Men on a Mission. Uh, and our special guest tonight, Deacon Tom Burke. Tom, why don't you pick up your story again? You were just telling us about uh, your experience and uh, nearly bowling a 300. So we'll pick up your parable from that point. Well, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd like to say that I had a charmed life, and I did have a charmed life, and that I responded to that. You know, that I had the ability, I know I had the ability to respond to that. Uh, responsibility was given to me by God. But I didn't do anything with it other than to do whatever I wanted to do. And that meant going and get a, a, a law degree and, and working on my practice. I came from really hardworking people. So that's how I showed my love. I thought if I could just work 15 hours a day or 12 hours a day and try to make as much money as I could and maybe a rep, even a reputation as I went, oh, I'd like that. Then I'd be whole. I would be, a, I would be that person that my dad was. You know, sure. I'd be that person that, that fulfilled who he was supposed to be. And part of that, too, was, uh, well, I wanted to keep excelling in sports, and so I took up golf. I was not a natural. I took it up late in life. But I practiced. Played 100 rounds of golf a year. Wow. Practiced two nights a week. If I was going to do something, what did the folks say? If you're going to do something, do practice, it right. Practice, Never practice. quit. That's right? right. That's how we were brought up. Right. So I just thought, well, that's what I was going to do. Well, I, my, I um, had met my uh, the most dearest thing, the, the, most, the, most, the best thing that ever happened to me, which was my wife, Gail. And uh, it, she, is, she is a saint because all these years when I'm out practicing law and 8 o'clock at night going to the driving range and getting home at 10 and doing it over and over again, she was faithful. She was faithful. She said, if that's what he needs to do to be the best version of himself, I'll, I'll, I'll assist in that. And that's that. She was very supportive. Of oh, it was. It, it wasn't so much verbal. She was. She was just there. Oh. Okay, and uh, uh, that was not easy for her. That yeah. was not easy for her. And and, and uh, so part of my parable is not me. It's the people around me. Mm -hmm. My aunts that that prayed me into the world. My other aunt that helped me get through law school. She was a saint in her own right. And then my folks who were faithful. My wife who 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 stood by me. All those things made me. I like to think that made me appreciate them more. But it just made me me. 
And it's too bad I acted that way, but it is true, and I'm not going to give up on it because it made me see that and other people and to forgive them too. So I talked about the mercy of God. So here I am going about my own business, practice the law, marvelous people, trying to help people, thought that was my life, was helping people, making money and a reputation, right. doing what I wanted to do. And um, Did you feel at that point in your life that you were fulfilled or did you feel that somehow there was a void, something missing? Ah, that's a great question. I, my, my total advocation was practice law, become a marshal on a golf course, and play golf. I thought that was about, maybe go on the senior tour. I got very good at golf. And uh, maybe go on the senior tour. But there was always that restlessness. You know how St. Augustine said, Lord, you, you made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in right. you. You know, we can, we can have those placebos in our life. We can have those self-soothing things, and mine was golf, and all those things that think we're fulfilled, you know, and, and gee whiz, you got a hole in one or maybe two or whatever. That wasn't it. Well, maybe maybe if I if you shoot under par. Well, that wasn't it. Well, maybe if, and there's always a an if. Or, uh, if I did this, I'd I'd be okay, right? right. Or I'd be whole, or I'd be secure. If I could just control. Not a hundred percent satisfaction in everything that right. you're messing around with. Right. It just m meant that I I leaped like a frog from one lily pad to another <laughs> lily pad. Okay. All the time searching for that other right. fly that right. I could go after. So. That's kind of how it was, and then around the turn of the century, and this is how it relates to spiritually, around the turn of the century, both Gail and I turned to each other and said, well, let's go back to church. And it didn't have to do with the turn of the century. It was, it was uh, I, I guess it was around Halloween, so I think it was more like the saints interceding for my dad. Mm -hmm. My relatives who had passed away, my dad who had passed away, uh, were praying me back into church. And so I went to church. And I like to say it was like <clears throat> being in the World Series and, and, and not having a seat assignment. So I went right down to the front. I got as close to the back of that church as I could get. I, I didn't fight somebody for the last pew, but I almost did. <laughs> and it, it still, still, my church going was centered around tea times. I wanted to make sure I got all that. I remember distinctly going to uh, Easter Vigil. And if you've ever done that, that's like a five-hour mass. Right. Well, that was because I was so faithful. No, that's because they had a mass at, for Easter on Saturday night, and I could make my Sunday tea time. But when I went there, I discovered that all those people wanted to be there, and they were praising God, and that kind of worked on me. Time, time was nothing to them on that. Nothing to them. Everybody, the, the church may not have been full, or maybe been full, but all the voices were lifting up to God, right. and that was an experience that 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 touched me. And from then on, I always wanted to go to the Easter Vigil. So you can see the mercy of God was reaching out to me. Also, my analytical mind was used by God because I said to myself, "Well, all those masses you missed." Somehow you have to make up for those. How do you do that? Well, I know what I'll do. I'll say a rosary. It takes about 20 minutes. Three rosaries must be one mass. I actually calculated it. <laughs> Sometime in 2013, I would have, at, at, at three rosaries a mass, I would have made up for that. Now, truly, we can't make up for any of that. Right. You know that, because right. you're a wiser man than I was. You're trying to convince yourself, though. Huh? Yes, but what that was, that rope. 
that rope that Mary gave us, drew me back through the mysteries, one bead right. after another, her right. hand on that bead as we went. And that relates to my next merciful thing I'll tell you about. Went through Christ Renews His Parish. And, and if you've ever heard about that, that's kind of a Holy Spirit little seminar that people go to for three days in the church. For our, uh, our viewers out there, uh, we've touched on this before, it's CHIRP, Christ Renews His Parish. And it's uh, active in many parishes around the country. Go ahead. And, and just, like, just like Acts and, 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 and other things out Which there. Which is another uh, similar program similar in program. parishes. Right. Uh, so I, I went through that. Gail says she told me to and that she went first. And I said, no, I told her I was going to go through it first. <laughs> but, but when I came home from that, seeing the Spirit work through other men right. was astounding. And Gail turned to me. I remember I'm sitting in the kitchen. She turned to me and she said, you're not going to be a Jesus freak, are you? <laughs> and I turned to her and said, I don't know. I didn't know, but I was willing to know. That was the gift that I was given by these other men who put themselves out there for me. You were definitely time. touched then by the Holy Spirit. Oh, absolutely. It was a Holy Spirit moment for me. And the next one happened because in that process, you come back if you choose to, and you put on for the next group. Right. And I, was, I was blessed to come back four times before I graduated. I say I graduated to help out with other groups. But the next time coming back, I was going to tell my story about Johnny. I was going to tell my story about how he had died. I was going to tell my story about how I felt I had abandoned him. And how God had shown me that, that, not so much through the bowling, but God had shown me that he was real and whole in my life. And I said, there's no way I'm going to be able to get up in front of my, my peers and, and tell this story about Johnny without crying. I don't really want to cry in front of anybody. Yeah. It's just not in me. So I'm praying the rosary. I'm going there to give it for my for my for my buddies, you know, who are practicing. And I'm gonna and I, and I said I said um, just as if Mary was there. I said I, I said Mary, I, I can't do this. I need your help. And you know what happened? In a moment, I heard Johnny's voice. Wow! I heard Johnny's voice, and you know what he said to me? What did he say? Two words. It's okay. Wow. It's okay. Now, if that's not a healing moment, I don't know what is. Right. Okay? So right. in that moment, he forgave me. The mercy of God came through that little voice, my little four-year-old brother's voice, to cure me of any fear I had about sharing what right. God had done for me and about sharing how the mercy of God had Beautiful. cured my heart. That is okay? fantastic. So I just kept playing golf. It was great. <laughs> I'm playing golf, practicing law, going along, just just uh, just as just as happy as I could be. Did a few things at church, really enjoyed them, felt the presence of God. But now I'm going to church and taking the Eucharist. I needed to go to reconciliation. It was just it was just like how could you not? Unless you have a vessel that receives a vessel the grace of God right. through the Eucharist. Right. If you don't have a vessel to accept it, how could you do it? So at least that logic took over in me. So I went to uh, confession. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been 25 years since my last confession. You should have seen the look on that priest's face. It was like... <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it was, it was, you know, I just say I was clumsy and he was kind. 
and I got to, 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 to receive the, the, the grace and forgiveness of God for that, uh, realizing more than, than ever before that it was, I couldn't Just make that grace that washes over you, that relief that one experiences when you're carrying a load around with you that you can't, you don't understand it, but once you're in your humility, you just surrender yourself for that and let God just totally heal you. Oh, that's a wonderful way to put it. And even, even though, uh, you know, you're a little like, I mean, I, even now I, I go to confession at least once a month. Uh, I often go more than that because I have to, uh, because I need to, because I don't feel connected to God. But, the, but reconciliation was more than just a cleansing. Right. It was what it says. It was being back, woven into right. the fabric of Christ's life, woven into the understanding that he was really present. I could not have believed that he was really present in the Eucharist unless I had given myself over to being with Christ. You were the father in the prodigal story. You experienced the father, I mean, yeah. in, the, in the prodigal. You were the prodigal, and the father was there and embraced you with unconditional love. And here's the great news about it. You've all seen that Rembrandt picture, right? Where he right. puts his hands on the sun. Right. I get that every time I go to reconciliation. <laughs> it's not that you just have it once. And you can feel when you're not connected, can't you? Oh. You kind of know when, 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 uh, when the world is taken over. I mean, all this time, I'm still going as hard as I can in my occupation. I'm still going as hard as I can playing golf. But I all of a sudden realize that that... That wasn't who I, I wasn't meant to be a golfer. I, 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 I wasn't meant to be a lawyer. I was meant to be what he wanted me to be. And that takes me to my next story, if you don't mind. So here I am doing the best I can, going to reconciliation, maybe not once a month because I, I'm, I'm getting into it and understanding that, that it is a connection. It's not something I have to do. It's something that gives me life. Right. Once again, like the lady at the well, right. he told me everything. You, you can hear in her words how she had been accepted by Christ. And that's what I hear in the words of absolution. So I'm out hitting golf, hitting golf balls at driving range. Whoosh, whoosh, one seven iron after another. Nobody ever miss hit a seven iron. So I'm hitting one after another. Whoosh whoosh and the rhythm and you'd say it must be a sunny day it must be a cloudless day where where you could feel god's presence and just the christmas of it no it was rainy and drizzly nobody else was out there that's how goofy i was i'm hitting golf balls when nobody else would choose to and you know what i said i don't know why i said this it was said from my heart i said lord if you don't want me to play golf anymore that's okay it was all I had to give. That's all I had. I had no precognition that I was going to give that to him. It was spontaneous. It, was spo it came from my heart. And as soon as it came from my heart, I wanted to take it back. <laughs> I mean, where did that come from? Right. But as you know, unlike things that we come from here, things from here you can't take back. Right. Okay. Um, and you know what I heard? Distinctly, I heard okay. That's all. I wish I heard, you're going to go off and be like Mother Teresa. I'm going to give you the power to do whatever you can that I want you to do. I didn't hear anything like that. And I, I didn't even hear then in about 2000 and, 
in eight or nine when that occurred, I didn't even hear then that I should be a deacon. What I heard was, okay, I accept your little offering. And that's the other thing I like to talk about. You know, when we have a, when we're looking for the mercy and love and forgiveness of God, there's an offering. And people offer themselves to their children. I see it all the time in baptismal prep, the, the love of the, the parents for their children. And that's an offering. That's an offering of a, a gift to a God. And God accepts that offering. And I just made a little offering. And then uh, I didn't take it back. And then shortly after that, maybe in the next six or eight months, uh, God put it on my heart. Uh, and I don't even know the exact moment that occurred that I should be a deacon. We're going to stop right there. And we're going to pick this up in just a couple of minutes. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Oh, Jesus, eternal priest, keep your priests within the shelter of your sacred heart where none may touch them. Keep unstained their anointed hands, which daily touch your sacred body. Keep unsullied their lips, daily purpled with your precious blood. Keep pure and unearthly their hearts, sealed with the sublime mark of the priesthood. Let your holy love surround them and shield them from the world's contagion. Bless their labors with abundant fruit, and may the souls to whom they minister be their joy and consolation here, and in heaven their beautiful and everlasting crown. We lift up to you this day our sovereign pontiff, the Pope, all bishops, all priests, deacons, seminarians, and religious. Jesus, protect them and guide them and pour forth your grace in abundance to help them in your mission of leading souls to heaven. Amen. Welcome back to Men on a Mission. We're going to pick this conversation back up with our guest, Deacon Tom Burke. Tom, why don't you pick us back up where you were at? Well, part of it has to do with, you know, just your, well, how do you think about God? See, my, my life has changed over time because cause God originally was was there, but kind of arbitrary. Yeah. You know, Johnny had he was died. in the background, more or less. Then God was real and would listen to me, but he was always there, but I could go about my own business, and he wouldn't bother me, and I wouldn't bother him. You had an arrangement, huh? There was, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I had a deal. And, and as long as things were going good in my life, there was absolutely no reason to bother God about it, which was just totally silly. I, I'm almost embarrassed to say it. And then, you know, as, as we talked and the intercession of the Blessed Mother and, and the rosary, I realized that, that, that God was real and ever-present and inviting me to do something. Let me, let me ask you a question, going back to what you had talked about earlier. So you had been basically so invested in your, in your corporate life, your professional life, uh, and in your hobby, you made the commitment that you weren't going to do it just halfway. You were going to be into it up to your uh, eyeballs. So really, what, was, what do you suppose it was that influenced you to go back to church? What, what drew you back into the faith life? Oh, I, I have very little doubt 
that what brought me back into the faith life was the intercession of my, the saints in my family, in, in my deceased relatives who were in the church triumphant. So you had mentioned, though, you feel like the prayers of your family inter interceding, begging God to help you come and see the light. Right. And so, and he's always willing to give me another chance. You know, I'm I'm a big I always say I'm a big fat sinner, and I don't say that facetiously. We all sin all the right, time, right? Right. But his mercy flows so perpetually out to us that we that the only thing we do that's wrong is deny it. Right. You know, everything else is how he made us. I'm and we so always defective. think we're not as bad. We haven't murdered anybody, and you know I haven't robbed a bank or anything. But we don't stop about all those other things. Stop and think about the hurtful things we say, uh, and even our actions, and the fact that we're so prideful. We think that we, you know, we can handle it all on our own. Well, that's just it. You know, I, I don't, I don't steal from anybody, but I steal their thunder. I don't, I don't kill anybody, but I, I step on their dreams. If I, if it's all about me, if, if, if my life can't be a gift to someone else, then what a well, it's like it's like taking old moldy bread and putting it on your bread box. It ain't gonna get any better. Okay? <laughs> but but my life was going really good at this point, and right. and I just wanted to bring up the just a, a point here about how I saw God, right. and the most powerful word that I can ever come up with that 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 for me was important in my life was at that point in time, after my my driving range experience, I continued to go to church. And, and I said just a simple thing, what? You know, we have important words in our life, and why did this happen to me is not a very functional one. How should I do this is not a very spiritual question. But I think the most powerful question is, what? What would you have me do? Now, so many of us say, whoa, 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 whoa. What would you have me do so long as... Right. And fill in the blank. That's so long right. as all my kids are great and right. they all go to college or whatever, what would you have me do so long as I can practice law, so long as I can play golf? But at, at that point, realizing... Conditional stuff. Right. There was, uh, it, it is continually my desire and was my desire then to say, what would you have me do? And so that's, our, that, that's truly the equation in all of our lives, right? right. Do we trust in ourselves? in our own plans, or do we trust in God? Now, is it 80-20? Is it 50-50? I've discovered something that is silly for me to act like I've discovered it. It's more like it's been revealed to me because I know that all the saints practice it. Right. Faith-filled people like yourself practice it. They trust as much as they're able mm -hmm. in God. Well, I don't fully trust in God. Well, then keep working at it. And it is a process. So, I, so it was put on my heart to become a deacon. I thought deacons were just old altar boys. I'm serious. I had no idea when the Holy Spirit put it on my heart to become a deacon. Right. And I said, no way am I going to do that. Because, first of all, it, they have plenty of white-haired people on the altar already. They don't need me. Did you think you just... You weren't pious enough, or you weren't qualified enough, or, you know, that's for other guys. That's not for me. Is that that's what more you like, That's a really good point. It's more like the latter. It's more like, well, Lord, if you, if you want me to do something, then, then have me do something where I'm a lawyer, 
<laughs> right. Have me do something on the golf course. You know, I still wanted to fashion God in my own image. Right. Uh, but I resisted it for about a year. Um, and uh, during that period of time, I went to Magigori with a dear friend of mine, Father Roger Fleming, and uh, and uh, uh, had some uh, some Marian experiences throughout that time, which there's no really sense in sharing it other than other than if you're not sure whether God is acting in your life, mm -hmm. ask your mother. Yeah. Ask your mother. Pray the rosary, but the way it was meant to be prayed. Meditate on the mysteries. Decide to sit there with her at the foot of the cross right. and the sorrowful mysteries. Decide to sit there for just a few minutes in your imagination. Put yourself into the mysteries. Right. And if you do, then you get to sit next to Jesus. Sit next to Jesus when he's in prison the night before he died. Can you minister to him as he ministers to you? That's what we are given an imagination for. Right. Animals don't have an imagination. No. They don't need it. We need it for that connection with God. Well, I'm rambling and I digress. But I did accept that, accept that calling. Uh, and it wasn't just me. Remember I told you about the greatest thing that ever happened to me, mm -hmm. aside from my faith, of course, is my wife. Right. And so uh, in St. Louis, in the Archdiocese of St. Louis, to be a deacon is a vocation, clearly. Right, and I've and I've said this briefly here that I think that that's what I was made to be. I wish I had figured that out about 50 years earlier. But having said that, I think that's what I was made to be. And Gail said, "Okay, I will walk with you." And she went to every class except two. She was sick once, and her brother was sick. Aside from that, she went to every class. She went to every seminar. She walked with me faithfully. Now, but it has to be that way. As a married person, you're, unless your spouse is on board, it's just not going to work. So it's a beautiful thing when your wife uh, capitulates or, or endorses it and just says, I, I want this for you, I know you could be good at it, and she supports you. What a blessing. And here's the mystery. Everything, everything in life is a mystery and a it gift. Is. We are washed in miracles all the time. And the miracle was that she walked with me. It, she, it wasn't like saying, well, this is just one more thing to take you away from me. <laughs> it wasn't like the golf course she was Which uh, is how she setting. felt about golf yeah, and right. practice a lot. Right. It was, it was I, I will walk with you. And as she did, we both became so much closer. Didn't think we could. Came up so much closer. As God worked in our lives, he worked between us and brought us together so there was nothing between us. That's amazing. And, and the grace of God that, that I received was, was a thousand times more than what I put into it. In fact, it was almost laughable. Uh, you know, we put time into it. it. It's 15 hours a week, and if you're a deacon, it's roughly 15 hours a week after you're ordained. But what it's... What you put into it is not even a, one scintilla of what you get out of it. Right. So, so you can, as the saying goes, you can never outdo God in generosity. You can never, never outdo God in generosity. But, but God recognizes the gift. God recognizes, and His mercy is so great. And the, the thing that's so amazing when you stop and think about that, all it took was you to make a conscientious decision to follow Him, to listen to His call and His voice, and to respond. He gives us our free will and it's our choice. And so you made this choice 
And look at, look at what has happened. Well, everything in my life has been enhanced. Uh, my, the practice of law has been in, oh, except for my golf. And the, practice, <laughs> <laughs> the practice of law has been enhanced. Now I have no idea where the ball is going, but I just don't care. You know? yeah. but, but the most important thing that I did in my life was golf. I loved it. It was part of my life. It was a fabric of my life. It was how I demonstrated how good I was and, and how I had respect for myself. And, you used and, that as a measuring stick. Right. No? And it was such a silly thing. And, and, and so many people I know, they measure it on, and this isn't a bad thing necessarily, but how well their kids do in sports and what select teams they are. They measure it in, can we go on vacations or not? They measure it in their 401k or whatever. And I right. understand all that right. because it's all about, God says, I understand. It's all about your insecurity. Seek me. He doesn't say, he doesn't say, uh, uh, do this and you'll be holy. He just says, seek. Knock and the door will be open. Seek and you will find. Try to enter through the narrow gate. He doesn't say enter through the narrow gate. He says try. If you try, I'll grab your arm and pull you the rest of the way. And what's really happened, and what I can't put into words, is that the fullest of life, it's like I was sleepwalking before. And no one would have said that to me. The fullest of life comes in a union with Christ. And here's the, maybe the most important spiritual thing of all the things I've discussed with you. Sometime <clears throat> in about 2010-ish, um, I was on vacation. And you already know me. I'm one of these people, if I'm going on vacation, every moment's plotted out. I'm going to do something the whole time. Sitting on the beach reading a book, I'm just not doing that. Right. So I go on vacation, take my golf clubs, duh, okay? And my wife says to me, she says, it's your birthday here on vacation. What do you want to do? I said, you know, I don't have time to go to Mass at all. But now that I'm on vacation, maybe I could go to Mass to the San Marco Church in Marco Island, Florida. So we went to Mass every day. Wow. Just a half an hour Mass. Yeah. It doesn't take long to do it. Right. So during that vacation, I did that. Oh, I worked in golf, too, of course. And I came home, and I said, well, if... On a vacation when I can pack everything together to make it work out, I can work mass into that. Well, then I could go once a week to daily mass. And I was very blessed because there in St. Joe's in Cottleville, there was two, two masses in the morning. So I could take my pick and I could go to the early mass. I had no excuse not to go to the early mass. I could still make the office or court or whatever. And for so, those that uh, are wondering, 6.30 and 8 o'clock. 6.30 and 8 o'clock, good, yeah. And so I went to Mass one day, or it was like two days. Well, if I can go two days, I can go three days. And except maybe if I was up at really early preparing for a trial that day, which doesn't mm -hmm. happen every day in your practice. I went to Mass every day. And so I talked about Mary, but it would be really ridiculous to say, Reconcil to not say, reconciliation opened my heart to the Mass and the Eucharist. And Jesus said, come to me, all you who are burdened, and I will give you rest. The sweetness of the Lord, and you uh, receive that. And I'm sure for those that do it, we all know, it just transforms you. It creates such a hunger in you that you can't do your day, you can't live your day without doing that. Because if you do, you feel that emptiness that I didn't, ha I didn't have that encounter with Jesus. 
and the, and the Mass, the Word of God and receiving the Blessed Sacrament. Oh, that's perfect. That's, I, 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 you can say it quick, much smaller than I can say it. <laughs> Thank you. But, you know, today was St. Thomas Aquinas' feast day, and he, and he said the whole purpose of the Eucharist is to transform us. You know, his, the bread is, is transformed into the body and blood of our Lord Jesus, right. but the whole purpose of the Eucharist is to transform us. So I have been transformed by the mercy of God received through the Eucharist. Beautiful. And that is who I am right now. And uh, uh, I can still be a lawyer. Um, and, uh, but I think I'm, uh, because of that, I think I'm a better husband. I think I'm a better person. And then when I was uh, ordained, which the, by, the, by the grace of God, the bishop thought it was an okay idea to ordain me. <laughs> I don't know about all my professors, what they all thought about it. But, but, uh, but then to go through the, the formation process of five years, maybe, uh, uh, maybe a, once every two months a seminar, twice a week going down to the Regali Center mm -hmm. with Gail every time. She packed a lunch for me every day, picked me up from work. What a great sacrifice. She wasn't out there in the front. I was trying to do it. And uh, they thought it was a good idea. I guess the bishop got somebody's recommendation and they allowed me to be a deacon. And uh, uh, it wasn't exactly when I was laying down on the floor of the basilica uh, before we're, we, we receive our vestments. I, I don't know exactly when it was, but the Holy Spirit has placed in me one of the fruits of the Spirit. And I hope you can pick up on that, and that's joy. Let's pick back up on that. We're going to pause right now and take a break. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Buddy, sorry we're late. Hey, Chris, what's going on, man? What's uh, going on? Not much. Uh, we're kind of running behind there. Yeah, right? you're late, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you didn't burn the brats, so that's good. I'm working on. <laughs> yeah, we took everybody to confession, so we went as a family and confession. Dude, I ain't done that since I was in grade school. Man. Oh wow, man, I could. I don't know what I would do if I didn't go to confession at least once a month. Really. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds strange, huh? I don't know, man. You know, I've, ta I've been talking to some friends, you know, uh, you know, some of these other faiths and things like that. And, you know, they brought up a good point. It's like, hey, you know, we just go straight to Jesus. We ain't got to, you know, confess to a, a yeah. priest tell to a man. I mean, why do we got to do that? I've heard that before, too. Um, lots of friends ask me questions like that, you know, like, can't you just go straight to Jesus? You right, know? right. But I know in the scriptures it says, you know, Jesus told his apostles, said, whoever sinned you forgive are forgiven. So that means in order for them to forgive the sins, they have to hear what they are. Hey, 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 Myrna, we're having a theological discussion here. <laughs> Chris is coming over talking Bible to me. <laughs> well, I've been getting a little more excited about my faith. You know, I've been reading more and kind of taking the initiative to educate myself on, on you know, why I believe what I believe, you All know. Right. So you're saying Jesus told his apostles to go out and hear confessions. Yeah. Yeah, and he also told him, whoever hears you, hears me. So I'm thinking, you know, when we listen to our priests and the bishops and the pope, we're, well, we're listening to Jesus. You know, I, okay, that might be good for you, but I'm just, to me, that just means like it would be terrifying. Like, you know, don't you get nervous and scared talking to some, some dude about, whatever, I mean, you can't tell him everything. 
Well, no, I, I try and be as honest as possible because, you know, I don't want anything to stand between, you know, me and God, any kind of sin, you know, I want to mm. be, I want to have a open relationship with God, you know, not pretend that things aren't there that are there, you know, that I should be changing. Well, I'll give you this, you know, we just had our kids go through First Communion, you know, and uh, right before they had First Confession, like I did when I was little. Oh, yeah. You know what, when they came out of there, the, their attitudes changed. They actually behaved a little better. So I'll give you that. They behave better. That's so. great. Well, I noticed when we go as a family, mm -hmm. um, it's kind of a similar thing. You know, our whole family attitude kind of changes. You know, it seems like everybody's a little more charitable and they kind of, you know, look out for each other a little more than they did. You know, I can usually tell when we've gone too long because mm. uh, people start getting a little snippy and a little short-tempered, you know. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, nobody's perfect, but I do notice a difference when we all go and uh, it just seems to make everybody, uh, you know, a little more, they, they tend to, to think about what they're doing a little more, you know. Okay, well, I'll tell you what I'll think about it. You know, that's, that's it's, you give me something to think about today, but uh, I'll tell you what, what do you want, a burger or a brat? What do you want? Uh, let me get a burger. All right, bud, thanks. Oh. Welcome back to the program. Tom, why don't you uh, take us to the next leg you were telling us about, you would you're in the basilica and you're getting ready to be ordained. And 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 when when the bishop ordains you and you, you put your hands in his hands and you swear obedience to the bishop. When, at some point, I don't know exactly when it was, but the Holy Spirit gave me one of the fruits of the Spirit, and that's joy. Okay, and I recognize that that joy comes directly from Christ and more presently in the Eucharist. One of the things that we that I didn't talk about is Gail and I, at, at, before we entered diaconate formation, say for about four or five years before that, when you enter diaconate formation, they say, get out of a lot of stuff. Focus is on this. Very good idea. But we were going to Eucharistic adoration every week. I was playing golf on Friday afternoon and going to adoration Friday night. And, you know, I wasn't always, always that good at praying, but I was there. Right. I wasn't always that good about meditating on the scriptures, but I was there. In fact, Gail used to say, snoring is not adoring. <laughs> but I put myself into it. Right. Even if it's just sticking my toe in it, then, then the water's fine. And then I want to put my foot into it and keep right. going. So that's really what the Eucharist has done for me. Being there in adoration, I didn't get any um, lightning bolts from God. I didn't get any super reassurance locutions in my system or whatever that God wanted me to do something. But as um, St. Alphonsus Liguori used to, used to look at the monstrance and see the Eucharist, and, and somebody says, St. Alphonsus, why do you keep looking at the Eucharist? You just stare at it. And he goes, he's staring at me. And that's what's going on. He right. saw right through me right. to those parts of me that needed to be healed right. to be better. The healing mercy of God is what my entire life has been and will always be because I'm so fallible. But yet, I just tried a little. And then he gave me a grace to try even more. I've been given the grace of joy, and I'd like to impart that to everybody, but the joy comes from his mercy. You know, I, I, I talk to young couples and they're a, a, a baptismal prep class, and I go, you know, what do you want for your, for your children? Mm -hmm. And they go, <clears throat> I want to be happy. I want my child to be healthy. And, and I want my child to be, to be successful. 
One person said he, he wanted his child to be an innovator. And all those things are good. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. But I go, well, what about the gifts of the Spirit? Would you like to have the gifts of the Spirit? You know, wisdom and knowledge and fortitude and piety and fear of the Lord. Would, would you like to have those? And I'm sure I left a couple out. And then would you like to have, would you like to have the fruits of the Spirit for your child? And love and peace and kindness and joy and gentleness and patience. Would you like to have those things? Well, every one of them said, well, sure, as if it just went along with it. But it doesn't. We know that. How right. many of us tried to have patience and we realize, oh, <laughs> I don't have patience. God can give us this patience if we ask for it, but we must extend our life as a gift. And, the, and so I say to these young couples, I say, I got a million dollars here in an envelope. You can have it, but your child will never have joy. Who wants to take me up on it? But I don't have to spend a dime. I don't, and I'm not trying to, to, to make any priests sorry for all the things that the church needs, but I don't have to give any money to the church. If I give my heart, that's all I need. I don't have to give anything in my time and effort to the church. I don't have to, but if I give my heart, all the rest of it will come. And that's all he says. Do you trust me or do you trust yourself? Right. Do you trust me or do you trust my, yourself? And then we hear the words. We hear the words of uh, Jesus and Peter. And Jesus says, do you love me? Peter says, I love you, Lord. Peter, do you love me? You know I love you, Lord. Peter, do you love me? And each time, Jesus was ratcheting up for Peter his love and mercy. And each time, as he talked about different types of love as he went, right. each time he was saying it, he was forgiving Peter deeper and deeper and deeper. And guess what? Transformed him. Transformed Peter, transformed his relationship with Jesus. Made amends for the... Uh... Three times that he denied Jesus, knowing him in the, in the courtyard before uh, the crucifixion. Our Lord gave him the opportunity to uh, feel that, that forgiveness and let him know that it was okay. So here's my question for you. Did Peter have to do that three times to make amends? Jesus forgave him before he ever asked him the question. Yes, he did. And he did it for Peter. Peter's benefit. And what? he does that for us, too. That, you know, a humble, contrite heart, O Lord, create in me. And if we can do that, if you can surrender yourself through pride and our ego and all that, if you can do that in sincerity, then amazing things happen. And people, I think sometimes people, they just, they're waiting for that lightning bolt, but they don't stop to think about, maybe it, it starts first with me. Am I placing myself in the proper uh, mindset and disposition to really reach out to the Lord. First, it has to start with that person. God says, look, I'll be, I'll be waiting right here for you. When you're ready, I'll be right here. And, and it's interesting that you should say, you know, you wish you had discovered this, uh, this great uh, pearl of great price about 50 years ago. But thanks be to God, you, uh, you still discovered it. Well, like I said, I'm, I'm a testament to his mercy and forgiveness, right? This is all part of your parable. I'd have just, yes, I'd have just <laughs> gone along in my merry way if I hadn't said, what? 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 What can I do to get closer to you? What would you have me do? Don't be scared to say what, because remember, 
He empowers what he commands. So he says, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Come follow me, and I will enable you to walk with your, with your spouse who has Alzheimer's. Come follow me, and I will put you at the bedside of a relative in their last hours. Come follow me, and I'll, I'll have you tutoring a child who you never know whether it will do any good or not, but you're doing it for me. Right. You know, pray for, uh, pray for everyone because you were made to pray, because Jesus is here praying through you. Reach out to everyone because you were made to reach out. Prayer's powerful, and a lot of people don't really stop to think about that. And you mentioned that early on in your, uh, in your faith story here, how your aunts were praying for you. And, you know, we, at times, we'll never know until we see God face to face. The power of that prayer from people who are loved ones, our relatives or whatever, or even friends. And only then, but we need to be mindful of it now, the great gift we have on those people who pray for us. And, and we should never cease praying for, for others, even when things are going good. People pray when things are maybe not going so good, but in Thanksgiving, thanking God for always drawing us close. He and that's what I'm way. hearing too in your, in your testimony here, your story. And what a blessing now that the power of prayer and, ha and what it has had, the influence it had on you. I know it certainly has in my life. Well, thank you for sharing that with me because, and, and you can, I, I can see that in your voice and in your demeanor, right? And what do we discover? We discover that it's not the same. The things that we thought were so important right. are not so important. Right. The things that made us happy are not so, 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 <laughs> so happy anymore. Joy is so much more than happy. Happiness is all the things I tried to create for myself, and joy is everything I've received from God. Happiness is a piece of chocolate cake. Joy is partaking of the Eucharist. Happiness is being, being the best person I could be. It was all about me. And joy is giving myself over to be something, a part of something greater than myself. Right. So I, 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 I hope in some way I'm a walking commercial for the mercy of God and, and what it means to follow what he wanted to do. And I hope that tomorrow I'll be that commercial and the so, next day too. Let me ask you now, now, now that in your, in your uh, ministerial responsibility, uh, responsibilities, the things you're doing now, what, what do you share with people to give them the great hope of this this great discovery you've made in your life and the relationship you have with God. How do you help them find God in their life? Well, that's, that's, that's a great question. And, and I, I'll, I'll say this, at its most basic spot, it's just being in that spot, being present to them. Uh, we think it's, uh, I was just talking to somebody today, somebody I love dearly. And we were talking about sharing our faith. And, and, and the person who talked to me, which I won't reveal, the person who talked to me said, you know, I, I'm not so sure I could do that. I, I don't know my faith well enough. And maybe there'd be a question I didn't know. And, and, I, and, and we talked and we discovered that, that Jesus says in, in, in Matthew 10, or is it Mark 10? Matthew 10. <laughs> he says, he says uh, don't worry about what you're going to say. My Father in heaven will put it in your heart. I can't tell you what God is going to do in your life until you give your life to God 
to let him do in your life what he should. Everybody is unique. And, and uh, Saint uh, uh, Augustine says something that, that is so, so true, right? He said, God can do everything without us, but he can do nothing within us without us. Catherine Siena said something similar that Jesus said to her, she was a great Carmelite mystic, and he said, and he said uh, I can save, um, uh, I can save everyone, but I can't save you without you. You know, he came to the world to save us all, but all we have to do is turn ourselves over to that salvation, and we work so hard at it. You know, Teresa Lasso talks about say, Saint, the little flower. The, right. She talks about just a little way, giving yourself over. And, and one of the things that, that touched it me. It all starts. God respects our free will so much that he'll wait for us. He won't interfere. It's like the prime directive in Star Trek. You're, he, won't, he won't interfere. And yet he waits. He waits so patiently and lovingly. And all we have to do is say, Lord, I need you. Come to me. Open up my heart. And why don't we do that? Well, I don't know. Uh, but we have our own plan. And, and, and we hope that Jesus will fit into it somewhere. <laughs> uh, I've, been, I've, been, I've had the great pleasure uh, pleasure, really, and privilege to be with some people towards the ends of their life. Uh, when, they, when they were seeing, either because they were oriented more towards God or they see everything falling away, and uh, how, how crystal clear their look is, how, how, how their faith just comes alive. And I don't want to wait until right. then. I don't want to have everything fall away. So I have to just say, you order my life, Lord. Wow. How do you say that? Well, maybe not so much on Monday. Monday, I'm too busy. But then all of a sudden, Tuesday becomes Wednesday and Thursday. And at some point, it's a, at some point, unless we let him into the silence of our hearts, until we let him into that silent place where only we like to go and we invite him in there, then he will change us, not against our will, but because we can think of nothing better than to be changed by him. Right. I'd like to leave you a little story about Therese Lassou, the little flower, had the little way she talked about. I relate to God the best way I can today and let tomorrow deal with itself. Isn't that beautiful? That's a Living in the present moment. Wonderful uh, expression of hers. <clears throat> but recently I was reading a book and, and they were talking about a letter she wrote. Carmelites were, were um, uh, the order that she was in, they were silent. They didn't talk. Contemplative. Contemplative. Yeah, thank you. And so, so they wrote letters. They're marvelous letter writers. And she wrote to one of her sisters, who was a friend, trying to describe the mercy of God. And, and it has really been true for me. It really can, I wish you could carve it on my gravestone sometime. And I, I, I hope you do, because then I'll be in purgatory and you can pray for me. <laughs> so, so she said, God is, the mercy's like this. There's two children. And both of them did wrong to their father. And they shouldn't have done it. And they know they shouldn't have done it. And so what do they do? One child runs. But the other child climbs into the father's lap and says, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Well, I did. I did. But I, I won't do it again. I will not do it again. Now the father knows the child's going to do something like that again. May disobey again. But he accepts the child into his, into his lap and holds the child close to him. Unconditionally. Unconditionally. That's God to us. And you know what the child says to the father? 
forgive me with a kiss. Now, what father wouldn't do that? What, what mother wouldn't forgive their child with a kiss? What, we know that. That's the love of God placed into marriage, into the family life, so we know the mercy of God, and we, we ignore it sometimes. And, of course, I tell this story sometimes when I'm doing my baptism preparation class. And, you know, it's not always the people in there with their first child. Some of them have other children been baptized. And it's kind of funny because you can see the look on their faces because they're like, well, it's true, absolutely true. But they're not going to turn to their children and say, if you want to be forgiven, whatever you do wrong, just step in my lap and forgive me with a kiss. If I knew that as a kid, I'd be in juvenile hall right now. <laughs> yeah. Asking the judge to forgive me with a kiss. You know, I cannot believe this hour has flown by. What a tremendous, tremendous hour to spend this time with you. Tom, before we end this, I wonder if you'd be so kind as to give our audience your blessing. Oh, I'd be, I'd be happy to. I'd be happy to. May the Holy Spirit be above you to protect you, before you to lead you, behind you to encourage you, beside you to guide you, within you to possess you totally. And may Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Tom, thanks so much for being our guest. My pleasure. Great what to see you, What a wonderful, wonderful uh, parable to share with us. So, friends, we'll be uh, looking for you again here real soon. Thanks for tuning in, and may the Lord bless you and your family today and forever. God bless.